Welcome to the Sharkpreneur Podcast with Kevin Harrington and Seth Green. Kevin Harrington is the inventor of the infomercial, one of the original sharks from the hit TV show Shark Tank, and has generated over $5 billion in TV and digital direct response sales. Seth Green is the world's first trusted authority on cutting-edge direct response marketing, a best-selling author, and the only three-time Marketer of the Year nominee. On the podcast, Kevin and Seth interview sharkpreneurs who share straight talk on what it takes to explode your business. Do you want to become insanely successful? Do you want to be the go-to guru in your industry? Do you want to be talked about for all the right reasons? For over 40 years, Kevin Harrington has helped people just like you become significant influencers. Now he's broken the process down in the key person of influence roadmap, and it's yours for free. Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience the success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today. Hey everybody, this is Seth Green from MarketDominationLLC.com. I am super excited for today's presentation. So uh, David Finkel, who you're about to meet, has been on the Sharkpreneur podcast multiple times. He's one of our rare guests that we have back multiple times. Um, One sentence that he said that I put as a post-it note on my computer during one of our podcast interviews caused a dramatic transformation in my business and reduced my stress level and increased my employees' productivity and profitability. So I am super excited to be a student today. If you don't know, David's helped over 100,000 of his Maui Mastermind clients buy, build, and sell billions of dollars of business athletes. He is the co-author of Scale, Seven Proven Principles to Grow Your Business and Get Your Life Back. He is a Wall Street Journal and Business Week bestselling author of over 11 business and financial books. And today we're going to talk about Survive and Thrive, Tools and Strategies for Running Your Business in the Face of a Pandemic. David, thank you so much for joining us. Well, I really appreciate, Seth, you having me here. And what we're going to talk about here today is how do you not just get by or get through this current period of time, but how do you thrive with it? And so we're going to share some ideas, some strategies for doing exactly that. You know, look, first of all, let's get clear on what's going on in people's heads. And, and we have to be honest about what, what's going on there. Number one, you know, are there really opportunities in all this mess for me and my company? People are wondering, you know, that at the same time, they're also wondering, how do I deal with the business when I can't? have customers in the store in any numbers, or when my staff, half of them have to work remotely, or things that we're not used to doing. And I understand that. We work with hundreds of different businesses across North America, pretty much every vertical. And the one thing that that makes this easy for us is I look at it, we're like at the center of this web of various businesses. And so we're seeing a very intimate look, including the actual financials of client businesses. We're seeing what is and what is not working. And what that allows us to do is it gives us a very insider view pulling back the curtain and compressed trial and error so that in the past, you know, you, you had to figure it all out by yourself. Uh, 2008 and in, into 2009 and 10, we were all scrambling to figure it out in our companies. Well, there's some, there's some things that we know both from that earlier playbook a decade ago and from what we're seeing our clients do in their, in their businesses across industries from professional service firms to manufacturing companies to retail to entertainment companies, to online businesses, to blue collar services, construction. We're seeing this, what is and isn't working. I wanna share kind of the bottom line for that. So where it came from, Seth, is we actually created a 
a course just for coaching clients because they needed it. They needed a structured way to think through what's going on. So we call this course Survive and Thrive. And so I'm going to share with you the very best from that right now. So the first place I'd like to start with is this idea of scenario planning. Part of what everyone who's watching this needs to do is we need to get ahead of things. Right now, we've been so reactive over the last several months. How do we get ahead with it? We call it scenario planning. So what we first need to do is we need to think through what are the critical variables in our business? So for example, if I have a manufacturing business, the critical variables might be about POs, purchase orders, so I know what my volume will be. If I have a medical practice, it might be about what the schedule looks like of various procedures that I'm doing over the course of the next two weeks. Um, if I have uh, a construction business, it might be about how many um, sales appointments do my in-home sales force that now are doing it virtually have. So I need to look for what are the variables that are gonna predict volume for my business. Every business has one or two key variables um, for what they are. So those leading indicators that give you a sense of volume with those variables, now we have to say, well, what's the realistic range that we have? We call this the, the, the low or the low end, we'll call that the worst realistic case. I mean, the worst realistic Seth is, you know, the world explodes, we all die and coronavirus wins and, and it's all over. So we, we're not gonna do that. But the worst realistic case, you might say, well, I might have a shrinkage of 30%. What's the best, the high end, the best realistic case, and what's the most likely? And I need to know and think through, what do I want to do should any of those scenarios come to pass? How do I expand if it's a good stuff? How do I make intelligent cuts, which we'll come to about strategic expenses, non-strategic expenses in a moment? But that's how I do my scenario planning. And then really importantly, I've got to track that going forward. Um, I've got to be aware of something we call cognitive lock, and here's what that means. So Seth, I create a plan. Here's what I do at my best, my worst case scenario. And I, I get now into action and I feel so much better because I have a sense of efficacy, a sense of control. Cognitive lock says, it's kind of like you think back to fight, flight, or freeze. It's the freezing portion or it's freezing in a particular direction. So as a business leader in my company, I've got to have certain formal check-ins at least once a month, if not once every two weeks, that step back and say, let's look at our most important critical variables. Where am I trending? Am I trending toward the upper end of that range or the lower end of that range? And what adjustments do I need to make? And if I don't plan these into my calendar, I see it with clients. If, if I'm not having my coaching staff prompt them for it, they will ignore this because no one likes to feel uncertain. And so we will often just bury our head in the sand to, 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 calm, you know, to, to have a way of calming ourselves, which is not a good strategy. Instead, you know, look, once every two weeks, once a month, I'm gonna go back and formally just check in. Where do I stand in my scenarios? What adjustments do I need to make based off of that? So the opportunities are there, and I wanna talk about something called a, a sweet spot. This is one of my favorite tools, and I'll give everyone a URL here so they can download all the slides later, but you'll see it here on the tool. And the way the, the sweet spot analysis works is, I, I look for, in this case, we're gonna use it for opportunities. And I'll give some examples of opportunities we're seeing clients in this market and in various businesses. But we, we look at our, our, our opportunities and we say, okay, I'm gonna put them through two filters. I have 10, 15 possible opportunities. Which do I go after? I ask which are low hanging fruit. So I go through every item on that list. Is this opportunity a low hanging fruit? Is this opportunity a low hanging fruit? And if it is, I check the box under that LH for low hanging. In a second separate pass, I ask, is it a home run? Home run means if it works, will it have a big impact? So my sweet spot are those ideas, those opportunities that are both low hanging fruit, easy to do, high likelihood of working, and a home run. 
big impact. And that's what I'm pursuing from that part. And I can use this sweet spot analysis in a variety of different parts in the business. So the key here though is when I think of which opportunities to go after, the mistake people make is they go after too many all at once. And there's a famous parable, the dog with a bone in its mouth looking over the bridge and drops both. But here's what I'll say, focus on less, but make sure that what you focus on this less matters a lot more. Don't half do 10 things, do one thing or two things, but do them to the point where they're actually producing for your business. That's really important. We also need to talk about cash flow. This is a pretty important one, especially in today's world. It's not popular, no one likes thinking about it, but we need to look at that. So when I do the scenario planning, one of the things that I do, like for example, I was coaching one of our clients, they, they uh, do staffing for hospital emergency rooms. And so we've looked at their revenue. So they, they picked up a new hospital, their revenue comes from two sources. Hospitals pay them a certain amount hourly for them to staff an emergency room physician. So that is a very stable amount of cash flows or contracts that might last for six, 12, 24 months. But the second part of their income comes from the actual services that these doctors do. They bill the insurance provider and that's where they also get money from. Well, I don't quite understand why it is. We have theories behind it, but hospital emergency rooms, the volume has shrunk radically. People just aren't going to ERs. And so what that's meant for them is that their volume is down from that portion of their business. So when we do our cash flow planning, our scenario planning, we're, we're measuring their volume and looking at the indicator for them. And based on what we're seeing, we can adjust what we need to do with their expenses and what we need to do with the strategic things that they might want to put more into. So that's us paying attention to cash flow. Collections right now are hugely important. You know, we have all of our coaching clients, we're looking very closely at their receivables. Are they invoicing frequently enough? You know, I, th I think this would be something that would be important to put it this way here. I'm actually looking for control here. Give me one second here, I'm putting this back. Great. So a couple quick thoughts here. You know, am I invoicing frequently enough? A lot of our clients were invoicing once every month or every other month, Seth. They can't afford to do that anymore. They need to be invoicing weekly with that part. If I've got collection risks, I need to have them paying weekly versus paying monthly. Why? It's a smaller amount. If there's a disruption to the payment stream, I find out about it faster. I mean, all these are things I need to be aware of. Um, we have our clients looking at their receivables on a weekly basis with an aged AR report. These are things that we need to do for all those clients of ours that are much more in a position where, you know, cash flow is tight for them. And we need to be aware of that. So we got to pay attention to our cash flow. When we look at that, I do want to make a distinction between strategic versus non-strategic expenses. And I think this is really important to, to, to kind of call attention to. So a strategic expense is something that, that makes you money. It's marketing that works. It protects revenue. It, it gives you an advantage in the marketplace. You know, it helps you get better at a key capability. These are all things that strategic expenses do for you. Um, the key with it is, is right now is the time not to cut strategic expenses. Now is the time that I want to actually spend more to invest more in my strategic expenses. But where do I get the money? I get the money from all my non-strategic expenses, all those things that don't work well, marketing that doesn't work, salespeople that don't sell, services that people aren't buying, uh, research and development that I can't commercialize. Now, some people say, well, I don't have research and development. Well, Seth, anyone who's watching this who creates a new product or a new service has R&D. They just don't see it. So for us to create a new product for our coaching clients takes time and money. So we only want to do that if it's something the market really wants. This is not the time to do vanity projects right now. Those are non-strategic expenses. And the rule, the heuristic says, I 
ruthlessly cut to the bone non-strategic expenses so that I can reinvest in strategic expenses. That's what I'm doing here. Um, but you have to be careful. A lot of people, what they do is they just make this willy-nilly cut across the board. And, and I liken this to, I'll call, I'll call it this way, I liken it to the surgeon who says, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and I know you've got some, some dead tissue there, but we're going to cut the whole limb off. W wait a second here. Just take the dead tissue, leave the living tissue behind, leave the strategic there, get rid of the other. Now, this does presuppose something pretty important, right? It presupposes that I actually know what my um, winners and losers are. But the, the theory, and I'd ask anyone to write this down, feed your winners, starve your losers, right? Feed your winners, starve your losers. And you say, well, what are my winners? Well, my winners are my people, right? The, the key people I can't do without, the clients that are my most profitable clients, the marketing tactics that work, the types of projects or the types of work that I do that creates the most profit, key initiatives. And this is the filter that when I look at my business, I'm always looking at in, in an area of my business, what are the winners, the things that actually produce the most demonstrable value for my business? And everything else is a loser. And so, for example, let's talk about marketing. If I want to feed my marketing winners, I, I actually need to track. And this gets a lot of people in trouble. And I'll just share with you one thing we've learned and I, and I now coach all clients about the same thing, right? So we work with several hundred businesses. Um, they should create their marketing scorecard before they ever implement the marketing tactic. So if I'm gonna use pay-per-click or if I'm gonna use article marketing for content marketing strategies, or if I'm gonna use outbound phone calls, or if I'm gonna use direct mail, I should have the tracking scorecard created before I actually spend all that money to do that particular marketing stream. And when I have that marketing scorecard clearly laid out, it makes it much easier for me to connect it back to doing my tracking. So for example, we're trying a new strategy with LinkedIn. There's an outside service provider who really wants to, to, to have us be a great case study because we have some influence with several hundred business owners that are clients. So they gave us a great deal on a particular technology and we're trying it out. We're sending out about 2000 marketing messages to specific one-to-one -one people on LinkedIn. Is it gonna work? I don't know. But we've got a scoreboard before we pulled the trigger for the tactic that we wanna create so that we know exactly what we need to be tracking to see if that's money well spent, and whether it be money directly on the, the service provider, but also the indirect money that we spend on our side to do this. So create your scorecard before you actually pull the trigger on the marketing tactic. People who forget that get, get screwed over all the time. And it's hard to know what your winners are if you don't have accurate data that you trust. So the sweet spot analysis tool, you can use this tool to look at your marketing tactics. Like for example, you might say, I've got 15 different marketing tactics that I'm gonna be using. Um, I can use the sweet spot tactic right now to figure out which are the low hanging fruit and which are the home runs. And I look for those that are both. And again, if you wanna get a copy of all these slides, just go to our website, nowemastermind.com forward slash df slides standing for david finkel slides and you'll get a cut you'll get a, get all the slides as a pdf actually we i think we put my staff put a a free copy of my last book in there as a pdf but you'll get the slides for sure and probably the other as well okay so there are opportunities here seth a lot of business owners are thinking oh there's nothing here i just got to survive no we want to thrive we have to find the opportunities whether those opportunities be from a sales perspective or an opportunity operations perspective or financial opportunities, opportunities to shift and change people's behaviors, our brand. I mean, the list goes on and on. You know, take the example of the behavioral. 
right now is the perfect time is that if I've had a change that I've wanted to make with my staff, with my suppliers or vendors, or a change that I've wanted within my customers, now is the time to push that change through. There is nothing like a little bit of a, a little bit of fear or a little bit of anxiety to make change more palatable. If I can connect that change with why it actually matters for my client or my customer or my staff to thrive in their role, they're gonna have a lot more openness to, to making some of that change than at any other time. So we're gonna go through and I'm gonna share, just gonna share quickly some opportunities I see with clients. So this is one of our clients, a construction company. They do home improvements. This is uh, John on the left and Brian on the right. They have a company in Georgia called Outback Deck. They, they are probably the premier outdoor living space builder in Atlanta. They do a great job. Well, all they're selling for years has been where they send a salesperson into someone's home to sit down with a couple and they do their sales presentation that way after doing a measured call on how big the deck is gonna be and pricing it out, et cetera. They've had to change that. Clearly with remain in place orders, even though Georgia is pretty flexible about that relative to other states, they've had to figure out a whole new way to sell. What they've discovered is, is they figured out a process to sell virtually that is about 50 to 70% faster because there's no travel time, decision cycles are shorter, and it has close to, if not the same closing rate. What a huge opportunity. This is something that they'll continue to do even after they can send people to people's homes. They'll continue this for a portion of their customers who really appreciate the convenience and the speed. Here's another example of, a, of an opportunity. This is Nate England. He's got a company called Skylink. They sell airplane parts. And you'd think, oh my gosh, poor guy selling aircraft parts right now. I mean, think about passenger airlines are slammed right now. They've lost billions of dollars in the last month. Well, he services and he's shifted to service more and more um, package types of, of aircrafts that do um, delivery of cargo. And think about that. Their trend is very, very, very high. The challenge he's had is that a lot of people who sell aircraft parts are desperate. They've got all this inventory, but passenger airlines aren't buying the inventory anymore. So they're coming to his customers and trying to undercut him by a huge way. So he looked at that and we planned out a strategy. We call it your true colors. And what he's done is he's talked with all of his customers to inoculate them against competitors. Whereas competitors come in and say, okay, now we know we used to sell you this part for 10,000, but now we're gonna sell it to you for three grand. Nate's helped his customers see that what they're doing is they used to gouge him on the price because at times of adversity, at times of crisis, this is when people show their true colors. And what it's done is a lot of customers who could buy parts cheaper know that the moment they do that and they go to that new part, that the next time they need the part, when the market has shifted, you better believe they're going to raise prices on them again. And where Nate has always given his people the most competitive pricing where he can still remain profitable. It's a brilliant campaign. It's basically taken out uh, the legs from his competitors right underneath them. Another example. This is Dr. Caesar Laura. Dr. Has, Laura has a, a weight loss clinic. And you say, well, what's good about that? Well, one of the things that he's done is it's allowed him to go to the telehealth option. He had been intending to do telehealth for the four years I've been working with him. But finally, the, the resistance was actually more his staff. And finally, everyone buys into this now. A quarter of his patient visits have been telehealth or, or video-based health. This is huge. He now can take patients from much larger footprint than just the, the 10 mile radius around his two physical clinics. So the opportunities are absolutely there. We just have to, to kind of look for where they are. 
I would encourage anyone watching this to not just look for one-off opportunities, but to look for structural opportunities. And what do I mean by a structural opportunity? That's an opportunity that doesn't pay off one time, but pays off again and again. Let me give an example. So this is Ann and her husband, Morgan. Ann owns Sagent Marketing. They, they are in Northern California. They do uh, marketing campaigns for state, uh, local, government, nonprofits, and social businesses. They're, they're great. So Ann owns her own building. And for quite some time, they've been growing closer and closer and closer to taking up the full space. She felt there was no way they could do their, their, their collaboration, their creativity remote. She just felt that wasn't possible. Well, it's now been forced upon her. And she realized now in the last two months that not only is it possible, but they can do it extremely well. And so now when this thing starts opening back up, she's gonna have some of her staff coming back in, but she's now gonna have basically unlimited ability to expand because she doesn't have everyone in a physical office. And that lets her have a structural advantage. That's an advantage that doesn't just last a short time, but it lasts over a long period of time. I'll give one more example of what that would look like. This is Thomas Jordan who runs a, a mobile bottling company. What they do is they go to wineries with this 30, 40 foot trailer. It's about a million dollars for that trailer that does bottling for wineries of high-end wineries. And Thomas had a, a, a major structural constraint in his business that his high season, which runs basically May through August, that four-ish month period, he might do 50% of his business in that one four-month period. and it was a real constraint. He had more demand. Like he had waiting lists for those times. But his equipment was exceptionally expensive, a million dollars for one line of bottling equipment. What we've now looked at is how can he use this current situation to go back and, and, and sell his customers on the advantage to them for doing not eight-hour production days, but 12 or 16-hour production days. And what that's going to effectively do, it's going to give him an extra 30 to 50% production capacity in his high season with the same physical equipment. He'll have more labor costs, yes. He'll have more wear parts, yes. But the underlying cost to pay for his machinery, no extra cost for whatever. That's a much higher margin for him. And it better serves his marketplace. It's a really, really smart move on his part. Again, I guess my point being here, opportunities are absolutely in your marketplace. You just need to be looking for it, number one. Number two, you're looking for things that are ongoing or structural, like for Thomas, that, that advantage of changing behavior of his customers would be an advantage that would go long beyond just that one season. So one action step for you right now, I would encourage that as soon as we're done here, I want you brainstorming on your list of what are the opportunities that are or could be for your company right now. And then put them through the sweet spot analysis, right? Look at each opportunity, which ones are low hanging fruit, easy to do, high likelihood of working, which ones are home runs if they work big impact and those sweet spots are really what you're looking for so some simple easy things that you can do immediately after watching this now having the idea is not enough we got to execute so i'm just going to share real briefly Seth, three things that i see with clients that make the execution work well the first is i have to have a clear plan and and i think people over overdo this i have some of my clients that before we ever worked would have a 13 page plan to do something this quarter. And I just laugh, you know, we built our business. We've helped our clients build, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars of market value, if not more. 
on the concept of a one-page business plan, a one-page plan of action every 90 days. So having it clear allows me to have some accountability. On the accountability, I wanted to talk about something. We call it the Big Rock Report. This is an example of what a Big Rock Report looks like. It's a, this is a, a web-based version that we do with coaching clients, but anyone watching this can use the same concept to raise the accountability bar. So each week I choose the one, two, or three big rocks for the week. The, the things that I, if I were to do these, that these things that take anywhere from an hour to two hours or less per, per time to do it this week would have the biggest impact on my business. And if I focus on those big rocks for the week with my discretionary time, those are the things that are gonna progress the business, create the most value. At the end of the week, I close the loop. How did I do on those big rocks? And then I also share what were my victories, my challenges, and my other updates, and pick my next week's big rock. And what happens for me, Seth, is I get this big rock report from the six direct reports I have inside my company, Maui Mastermind, and they get mine. So my leadership team, we share this with each other. I get to see in one page what they consider most important, what they did in terms of creating value for the company, what their victories were, what they're struggling with. It makes it very easy, very fast, very simple for me to better manage my people. And I know we're going to do a later podcast or, or a webinar like this on, on how to do virtual extremely well. The single biggest mistake when people do virtual, when I have part or all my staff virtual, is they screw up accountability. So with accountability, I love a big rock report for two reasons. Number one, the information is structured, which means it's faster for someone to fill out and much faster for me to, to digest it, to use the information. The second thing I like about the big rock report is it prompts people to think through and ask the right questions. Um, I wrote the book Scale, as you know, with my a friend of mine, Jeff Hoffman. And Jeff is probably best known for having been one of the founding team members for Priceline.com. You know, we talk about scaling. Well, I, I've grown businesses 100, 200% per year, and I've done that for five or 10 years in a row, and that was pretty fancy. But he grew a company from zero to a billion dollars in sales in four years, one of the fastest scaling startups in history. I mean, now it's got a market cap of about $60 billion, although they've taken a bit of a hit since last time I've looked, but they're still quite valuable. My point being, his comment was, David, um, business planning is never about the answers. It's almost always about asking the right questions in a structured way frequently enough so that we course correct as we go. So that's why I like structured accountability. I will also mention that one of the things I see people do, Seth, that screw up accountability when they're working virtually is we manage so much by email. Email is the worst way. It has never been designed to manage collaborative, high volume, high amount of tasks by email. Never, it's a poor way of doing it. A project management tool from Asana to Basecamp to Zoho Projects to Liquid Planner to Trello to, you pick whichever one you like. That's a much better way to go. And I'll, I'll talk more about that in the other webinar, but a big rock report is a simple weekly template um, we've got probably 70% of our client businesses that we work with use it inside their staff. I, it takes me five to 10 minutes to do mine. It takes me probably 20 minutes to read my six direct reports, big rock reports. So in 30 minutes a week, I know exactly what's going on in the company. Um, I'm still old school. I print it up and I make my comments by hand with my pen and I, I'll then I'll have conversations throughout the week but the big rock report makes it much easier. It lowers the management burden for me 
of le leading my leaders in my business. And so those are some things I would share for somebody that I think would be important. And kind of the last comment of going virtually here, this is uh, you know, some of our team members and or community that we work with. When you're doing virtual, one more thing I'll just share, um, and I'll go into more depth and give examples of a job description, but the, 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 the accountability, one thing that people get wrong is they, they say, oh, my people know what they should do. And it worked when they were in the same office as me, having all the other environmental cues of what they're supposed to do and what they shouldn't be doing. But now they're in a virtual workspace, they no longer have those environmental cues. So one of the things that we've got our clients doing is making sure that they don't just have a job description. You do this task, you have these functional responsibilities. But to make sure they add two more things to every job description for their key people. What is it that they do that creates the most value specifically for the company? And how is that success measured? How do we know they're doing a great job? How, what can they see for themselves? And those two extra elements, when I have those in there, Seth, what it allows me to do is it allows me to manage remotely where in the past, I might have said, well, if they're not responsive to my emails, I don't think they're working. They're just screwing around, which is horrible management. Why? Because what I'm training my staff to do if I manage responsiveness as a proxy for value, value for, or, or working, then they're going to be in their inbox creating all kinds of make work for themselves and other people by being hyper-responsive. Hyper-responsiveness is not how they create value in most cases. How they create value is they make sales, they service great clients, they come up with creative ideas, they implement stuff, and those are things that they might need one, two, or three hours in a block to actually do. So be careful of making um, responsiveness this or hyper responsiveness, this proxy for my staff is working. No, working well, we've identified you do these three, three, these three things, Seth, that create the most value for our company. And here's how you can measure whether or not you're successful in each of these things. And by looking at it qualitatively, quantitatively, now we know what it is that you do that creates the most value. And so those are just some simple insights there. So I'm going to give people encouragement here, and I'll give, the, I'll give the URL one more time for people to get the slides, and then we'll close here. Again, we wanted this to be a really tight 30 minutes or so of just really good bam, 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 bam information. But I'm asking anyone watching this, I want you to grab your pen, grab your pad of paper, and I want you to pick one action step, something that I, was something I shared or something that what I shared sparked for you that you're going to do something with. For example, you're gonna go back and make sure that your two key direct reports know how they create value and how that value is actually measured. Or you're gonna start using with your, your leadership team, the big rock report, and you're gonna make up your version for yourself. Or you're gonna do some opportunity hunting for yourself and do a sweet spot analysis for that. Or um, maybe for you, you're gonna look at your strategic versus non-strategic expenses. Or maybe for you, you're gonna make sure you do some scenario planning, looking at what your critical variables are and what the variable ranges are and having a time to look at it every two weeks or four weeks about that. So pick something, do something. And I'll give one extra homework, get the slides, go back and read through, take a look at the sweet spot looks like, you'll see a sample of what it filled out with. And you can do that at mastermind.com forward slash DF slides, David Finkel slides. And you'll actually, I, I did get a message, you actually will get um, a copy of my last book, Build a Business, Not a Job, as well. But the slides, I think, is where I would start with. So hearing that, Seth, I know that was a lot, but you asked me to be as much information, as much value in 30 minutes. I did. I asked for a minutes. fire hose of all content.
but you so delivered. So I greatly appreciate that. I have I have pages of notes. Um, I, I hope our watchers and our listeners do as well. Uh, again, go to MauiMastermind.com forward slash DF slides, get the slides, get the book, which I am a huge fan of. David, thank you for over delivering an amazing amount of content on how to survive and thrive despite the pandemic, maybe because of the pandemic, maybe now is a huge opportunity for you to branch into another method of delivery or another service or another product that you hadn't launched yet. Maybe I had a conversation with a gentleman uh, the other day who runs the Buffalo Chicken Wing Festival, which was a physical event that thousands, tens of thousands of people flew into Buffalo for the Chicken Wing Fest that he can't have in person right now. And I said, let's pivot, let's go virtual, and now it's national and you have an opportunity for a whole much bigger business even though 10,000 people sells a lot of tickets and a lot of chicken wings and sponsorships, if you go national, we got a bigger opportunity. And he was like, oh my God, this can be I the love the brand, the brand opportunity for that, Seth. That was a great idea for him to extend that brand. Keep, wow, I love it. So I got some of that from you from the last time we talked. Um, and obviously I got a lot more today. Thank you so much again. Everybody go to MauiMastermind.com forward slash DF slides. Go grab the slides in the book. Consume all things Maui Mastermind. David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Seth. Thanks everybody for watching or listening and we'll see you next time. Do you need money to fund your idea, product or service? Are you ready to take your business to the next level but need capital to get it done? Kevin Harrington has heard more than 50,000 pitches and knows how to help you make the perfect pitch to get the funding for your entrepreneurial dream. He's distilled the process down in his perfect pitch cheat sheet and it's yours for free. Just text PITCH to him right now at 727-888-2100. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free perfect pitch cheat sheet. Text PITCH to 727-888-2100 to start funding your dream today. This show has been produced by Market Domination, LLC. To discover how you can have your own show completely done for you and turn it into a real published book and become the authority in your marketplace, go to www.marketdominationllc.com slash podcast offer. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.